Yes, one day the tempter will be banished. And we'll lay our burdens down. Peter's talking about that. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter one, verse twelve. Second <clears throat> Peter one, verse twelve. Wherefore, the wherefore is a connecting word. So, as a result of what we've just what I preached on last Sunday night, wherefore. So, this this is built on that. Wherefore, I would not be negligent. Put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. We have not followed cunningly devised fables, we made done unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I simply titled this tonight, Established in a Present Salvation. Established in a Present Salvation. Peter, as I mentioned, Peter is talking about or preparing to depart this world. Uh, he says, knowing shortly, verse 14, I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. He is not discouraged nor fearful. He has confidence in his exodus. The word the word decease is the word exodus. It doesn't mean that he's going to go out somewhere and cease to exist. No, he's just departing this life. Uh, he's going to be with the Lord. And he is confident because he is firmly established in a present salvation, something he knows he has. He's resting in the assurances that the Lord gives. And of course, last week we looked at um, working to be fruitful. Working to be fruitful. And of course, these things got to kind of go together. Of course, if we work to be fruitful, we will have that assurance. But tonight I want to think about how we can be established or what is the basis for those assurances. And that, of course, is the word of the Lord. So let's let's pray and then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time that we have tonight to look in your word. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and encourage us. 
Lord, we know that our world is seemingly upside down, full of chaos and cataclysmic events, uh, terrible things happening in our world. We realize that the whole world groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, looking for the redemption, the adoption, redemption of the body. So, Lord, we pray tonight as we look into your word that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be challenged, that we might be established, that we might be firmly fixed, that we would not be unsettled by the turmoil that's going on in the world around us. So we pray that you would just speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what gives Peter this firmly established attitude that he has? You know, knowing, again, knowing, of course the Lord told us and told Peter in John chapter 21 what kind of death he was going to die. He was going to die a martyr's death. And uh, <clears throat> he was going to have his life taken from him. Uh, history says that, that he was crucified, and he was crucified upside down. But, uh, and he, and he, but he knows, and like Paul, who wrote in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul also knew that his time was short, but neither was he discouraged or despondent about it. Uh, Peter wore, and, and you know, the idea here that he, he said, I must put off this my tabernacle. You know, our body is just a tent. It's a tent. Usually people don't invest too much in tents. I mean, you want it usable. You want it to be useful. And you want to take good care of it so you can have it as long as you possibly can. But you don't invest a lot of money in a tent. No, our investment is in our glorified future. So what gives Peter this this being firmly established. First of all, it's based upon these things. First of all, we see here the, the, the recollection of the apostles. In verses, verse 16 it says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables or fictional stories or allegories. You know, some people, some, some liberal theologians say that the, the miracles are, of the Bible are just allegorical and they're not really reality and all these kind of things. He says, no, we've not followed these cunningly devised fables. So evidently there was even people back then uh, denying the truths of the word of God. But when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's reminding them, and you notice he used the word remember or remembrance three times. He's reminding them that he was an eyewitness of the majesty or the glory of of Christ. In, you remember in Matthew chapter 17, of course he's referring here to the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew 17 verses 1 through 4, it says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. So he, he's, he's reminding him of his readers of this, this uh, 
experience that he had, this eyewitness account, where he saw the majesty or the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, put on display before him. And of course, all the gospel writers make reference to something like this, or many of the apostles. Luke in his gospel, for example, in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as it delivered them to, unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things, from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And then when he wrote the, the, uh, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he refers there to the many infallible proofs, Acts 1, 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. In other words, these proofs or these things could not be denied. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of them for things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, so, and then Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, also makes reference to this, these, these things. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also I have received, wherein you stand, which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again a third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain of this present, but some are falling asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. And of course, Paul had that experience on the road to Damascus where he saw the glorified Lord also, and he was blinded by it. Um, so, you know, these men were eyewitnesses, and Peter's recollecting here or reminding them that he was an eyewitness. You know, John says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1, that which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have handled of the word of life. And of course, Ephesians 2.20 tells us that the gospel, or our faith, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20 says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the apostles' testimony is a testimony to the foundation upon which our faith rests. And Peter is saying, you know, by, by this account or this uh, experience we had, uh, this proves this Jesus is who he says he is. You know, in Hebrews chapter 2, Verse 4 says, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, with divers miracles according to the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's not really what I wanted there, but, but uh, uh, he's talking about, again, they were, they were witnesses of these things. And, and so this Jesus is who he says he is. And Peter says, we saw the power, we saw the glory of God that was veiled in his flesh during his earthly ministry. And somebody, one commentator said this, you know, really the real miracle is that he could be veiled. 
You know, one of the Christmas songs says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. You see, the real Jesus Christ wasn't really seen when he was here on earth. His glory was veiled. It was suppressed. It was hidden. And Peter and the apostles, James and John, got a glimpse of that glory which he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. The power and the majesty. One writer said, quote, One may say that this shining glory was not a new miracle, but a pause in an ongoing miracle. The real miracle was that Jesus, most of the time, could keep from displaying his glory. Unquote. So we have the, 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 uh, 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 the recollection of the apostles. But we also have a confirmation from the Father. Notice in verse 17 and 18 of 2 Peter 1, he says, For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And of course, you know, the, 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 the uh, Matthew's account tells us that Peter in verse 4 says, uh, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's, let's, let's build tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know what Peter was really doing there? Putting them all on the same level. And then that voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. You see, the father's testimony to the son was the crowning proof of the power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's the proof of the power of the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, so it's the crowning proof of the power and authority of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this voice of the Father settled forever his identity, the identity of Christ. You see, he said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Now, what he's saying there is this, this Jesus is not on equal footing with anyone before. You know, Matthew 12, 6 says this, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. You know, the Jews prided in the glorious, the, in their temple and the glory of it. But Jesus said, there's one in this place greater than the temple. Of course, he's speaking of himself. In Matthew 12, verse 42, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment. This generation shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. We're John chapter. Yeah, John chapter 8. John chapter 8 for a minute. John chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 
course, there the, here are the Pharisees are questioning him. And they say, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? Now, if you would read the Old Testament carefully and read Genesis chapter 18 and chapter 19, they would, under, they would have understood that Jesus was before Abraham. In fact, we believe that one of the angels that came to Abraham was the Lord himself. But anyway, it says, And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is whom ye say, It is my Father that honoreth me, I'm sorry, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. See, he said, I'm greater than your father Abraham. Moses was the great lawgiver. Elijah, of course, was the great prophet of the Old Testament. But God the Father is saying, the Son is greater. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. You know, when the writer of Hebrews, you know, the theme of the book of Hebrews is better. That's the key word, better. Jesus Christ is better than the angels, chapter 1. He's better than Moses, chapter 3. He's better than Joshua, chapter 4. He's better than Aaron, chapter 5. He's better than the, the law. Uh, the new covenant is better than the old, and that's the rest of the book up until about chapter 10. You see, he's better than all we've had before. And the, the father is saying to the disciples, look, he's not on equal footing with Moses and Elijah. He's better. He's greater. This is the son of God. This is the Son of God. So we have the recollection of the apostles. We have also the, a confirmation from the Father. Well, I want you to notice the third thing. We have also a firm, trusty, written declaration. That's really what more sure means. It means firm, trusty. Uh, verse 19, 21 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn, the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came in old, not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Peter says, You know, I had a great experience on the mind. I was an eyewitness. Of his majesty, I saw him transformed. I heard the voice. I heard the confirmation of the Father from heaven. But I'm telling you, there's something more trusting, trusting and firm than that.
And that's the more sure word of prophecy. He says that you do well to take heed to. And this prophecy is not of any private interpretation. That simply means that the, the, the word private there has the idea of pertaining to oneself as opposed to others. In other words, not just one writer spoke about it and others contradicted it. No, they all did. And they all agreed. You know, there's, Proverbs says this over and over again, in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Hey, there are a lot of counselors in this book to give testimony to, to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we need to give heed to them. What are John chapter 5? John chapter 5. <clears throat> John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus again challenging the Pharisees, says, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I have received not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. Another shall come in his own name. Him you will receive. I think that's there speaking of the Antichrist that they're going to receive. How can you believe which receive honor one from another, of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses in whom you trust. For if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words also? You know, and Moses, speaking of Moses, wrote of him. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses wrote this. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, liken unto me. Unto him shall you hearken. Unto him shall you hearken. And of course, Acts chapter 3 Peter quotes that and says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet said, the Lord your God, raise up unto your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. So he says, Moses spoke of me. The scriptures give testimony, and there's not a private interpretation. In fact, there are, according to someone's calculation, 332 distinct Old Testament predictions regarding the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. 332. The combination of this evidence together from a simple statistical perspective is absolutely overwhelming. You know, let's just take a couple, for example, good Isaiah chapter 7. And we're just going to look at a few. You know, they're in Jeremiah, they're in Isaiah, they're in Daniel, Ezekiel, Psalms, Isaiah 7, a couple we're very, that we're very familiar with, Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, butter and honey shall eat, that he may refuse, know to refuse evil and choose the good. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And again, very specific. The child was born, the son was not born, the son was given. The son wasn't born. He's from eternity past. We don't serve a created Jesus. No, he's God. He's the creator. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses worship a created Jesus or a, uh, a Jesus who became God at some point. No, no. The son was given. He was not born. The child was born. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Of course, that refers to the millennium. Uh, and in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You know, Daniel, Daniel speaks of the time of his birth. Daniel 9, 26, I'm not going to turn there. You need not turn there, but go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, tells us when, Daniel 9 tells us when the Messiah will be cut off. But Micah 5.2, it's in the white pages of your Bible, somewhere in the Old Testament. I can't find it. It's one of those little books. Jonah, Micah, there we go. All right, Micah 5.2, a very familiar one again. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, notice, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Or as he's been from everlasting. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. The whole psalm speaks of him along with Psalm 22 and, of course, many other psalms. Psalm 2 says, Why do the heathen rage? People imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his displeasure, in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I would declare the decree the Lord... I said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Of course, speaking here about again the millennium. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And of course, Psalm 22 speaks much, makes many references to the crucifixion. Starts out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, and thou hearest not in the night season, and am not silent. Verse, drop down to verse 5, or verse, verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. 
All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him now, seeing he delighted him. And that's the things they said to him while he's on the cross. Drop down to verse 13. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my, my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me under the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, and an assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And so on. You see, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture bears witness to the person and work of Christ. Professor Peter Stoner has calculated that the probability of any one man filling eight of these prophecies is one quadrillion. One and one quadrillion. Now, you know what a quadrillion is? Well, you see, it's quadrillion comes after trillion. I had to look that up on Google because I didn't know what it was either. I thought maybe it was, I've heard of zillion, but there is no such thing as zillion as far as I know, according to Google. At least it didn't go that far. You know, there's quadrillion, then there's uh, quintillion, and uh, oct- um, I don't know. Anyway, it's too many, too many numbers. But anyway, the probability of filling eight of these prophecies is one in one hundred quadrillion, or ten to the seventeenth power for you mathematicians, whatever that is. That equals the number of silver dollars would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Quadrillion silver dollars. Stoner says that if you consider 48 of the prophecies, the odds become 10 to the 157th power. You see, when Peter says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, he means exactly what he says. It is trustworthy. It is trustworthy. And you and I need to take heed to it. And if we take heed to it, We'll be like Peter. When we face death, we'll be unconcerned. We can face death without fear. You know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's like to face death. I really don't. I've had a few scary things happen in my life. I was shot at one time while I was hunting. It didn't scare me for some reason. I was sitting on the ground, squatting like a turkey, and somebody thought I was a turkey. I know a lot of people thought I was a turkey, but, but somebody thought I was a turkey, and he came out just about 100 yards up the way from me, and, and, uh, and I, I wasn't paying much attention. I saw him, and, I, and you know, I didn't think about it, but he pulled up and shot, and the dust flew right here beside me. 
And so I stood up. And he ran off. Good thing. I went looking for him, but I couldn't find him. Uh, you know, that, just, that was just a sudden thing. So, but I didn't have time to think about that he was going to do that. I remember a missionary saying one time, he's a missionary down in the Amazon, Jay Brennan, I don't even remember the Brennans, visited when we were in Maine, and he said, uh, of course, they had a little house or a hut like along the Amazon River. He said, well, one day this big boat, he could hear it coming roaring up the Amazon. He said, it's not the native people. And he said, it come flying up through there and pulled right in toward them, and the, and the soldiers jumped, jumped out with AK-style rifles. And he thought, Lord, I'm coming home. And this is what he said. He said, I realized then it's easier to die for the Lord than it is to live for him. All I can say is that's the grace of God. Because he said, I thought I was dying. They were looking for drugs. Which, you know, he helped them search, but, but they, he, he thought they were coming for him. You see, we can be firmly established if we take heed. But that's the key here. We have also a more short of world prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed. You know, we can have assurance, but we've got to work at it. We've got to apply ourselves, as we saw last week. And if we apply ourselves to the truths of the Word of God, you know, think about this. Hebrews 11.6 says that uh, uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, the average person doesn't give much time or thought or doesn't want to give much time or thought. Many young people don't want to give much time or thought to the fact that someday I'm going to die and I need to make preparation for it and I need to know what's going to come after this life. Where did I come from? And where am I going? Of course, the Bible has all those answers. So we need to give the more. You know, so the point of this is we need to give a more, a, 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 an earnest heed. We need to take heed. Go to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. <coughs> You know, again, the scriptures are not of any private interpretation. In other words, it wasn't just one prophet saying these things about Christ. It was all the prophets testified of him. Zechariah, Malachi, all of them talked about Jesus and his coming and, about it, and they talked about his, his majesty and his rule and his reign. And, and, of course, many of them referred to the second coming of Christ of which they're still yet to be fulfilled. So it wasn't just one witness. That's what it means when not of any private interpretation. And they all agree. And, and, and the Lord gives us a warning here in the book of Hebrews in particular. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape 
if we neglect so great salvation, with the, at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us that, by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So he said that, you know, the angels that disobeyed, you know, they received swift judgment. And every disobedience received a just recompense, a reward. In other words, God's going to judge us according to our deeds. And he says, how should we escape if we neglect? Peter said, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of these things. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 10, and, I, and again, I believe the human author is Paul, but of course, it's under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in Hebrews 10, he, he again warns us, verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let us consider one another one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and accounted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You see, if we know the truth and we don't embrace it, there's no hope for us. Young people, if you know the truth and you don't embrace it, there's no hope for you. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation you know to, to reject the invitation that God gives us is an insult of the highest order to a holy righteous and yet loving God who would sacrifice his son You know, Revelation chapter 1 kind of reminds me of this fiery judge. You know, we, we have made in Christendom Jesus into this sweet, loving, feminine person. Or he's a Santa Claus-like. 
jolly old fellow. And though he was loving, no one loved more than he did. Yet he is still holy and he is righteous. He came the first time to give his life. But when he comes the second time, he's coming as a judge. As a king, as a ruler. And that's what Revelation describes here for us. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 9 it says, And I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am a Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in the book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet was like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace and his voice of the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. See, when the Lord comes again, He's not coming as a loving Savior. He's coming as a judge. A judge. Now, I know in our society, I haven't been in court very often. But you know, when I went to court, I dressed the part. And I address the judge as your honor. And I know today people wear shorts and flip-flops and all kinds of junk because it's court, court runs. And they may think, so what? But when you face this judge who holds the keys of death and hell, your life is in his hand. And remember, this same Jesus, who's here pictured as a judge, said in John chapter 12 and verses 47 and 48, John 12, 47, 48, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. That was his first coming. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You see, when he came the first time, he didn't come to judge. He came to save, to die. We said one day, they're all going to be judged, and you're going to be judged. 
by this book, the word that I have spoken. You see, this word can firmly establish you or it can righteously condemn you to the lake of fire for all eternity. Depends what you do with it. So we need to give. We need to take heed. We need to give earnest heed. And if we give earnest heed, if we establish ourselves ourselves in the word of God, we can face the world and not fear what it puts before us. So the question tonight is, are you firmly established? When the world opposes you, Will you be firmly established then? Young people, when you have to stand on your own, your stand will be determined by how firmly you are settled in the truths of the Word of God. So how diligent are you? Are you spending time in His Word? You know, Timothy tells us, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed. You won't be confused or confounded. You not be ashamed if you study, if you rightly divide the word of truth. So Peter says, let's be established in our present salvation. Let's be established now. You know, isn't, it, isn't it wonderful to know that I know that I'm saved now? You know, how many people you talk to in visitation and they may answer biblical answers and then if you ask them, do you know they were saved? They say, well, I hope so. How sad. And yet they don't seem to really want to have that assurance. See, the problem is when the time comes, and they leave this life, it's going to be too late then. And we don't know when that is. The Lord may come, and then it's too late. So, are you established in a present salvation? You know, John says, behold, now are we the sons of God. Now. Do you have that assurance tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us and instruction, the warnings. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to take heed. Lord, I pray at the beginning of our midst tonight, we do not have that, are not established in a present salvation. We don't have confidence or assurance in their salvation. I pray that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts. I pray that they seek diligently to make their salvation sure. Help us just to be faithful. We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.